Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we've got obviously our good friend of the podcast, Cliff Gray. We've had him on several times. Uh, FlattopsWildernessGuides.com. Cliff, how you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on again, Jay. Yeah, it sounds like uh, from I had a bunch of buddies that hunted Colorado this year, and I was watching on Instagram and Facebook and and some of the different things. And um, sounds like just across the board, Colorado, um, mild, mild temperatures. Um, I, you know, I couldn't believe it. Half the time, you know, times when I normally see pictures of yours, and there's you know, 16, 18 inches of snow on the ground. That was it was like you guys were in t-shirts yeah and it's actually funny uh in the world of facebook now i'm sure you notice it you get like these last year pictures sometimes like they put up like a memory thing like their little automated deal and so you get a lot of that like during those times and it's like the same thing even from my perspective i'd 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 get on there and i'd be like oh yeah that's november 10th last year we were in three feet of snow and it was abysmal, and it was negative 10 degrees, um, and then now we, we had nothing, you know, it was, it was really mysterious that way, both on, and that's, and it's, it's funny, because it's, I mean, you're talking relative to what historically is mild winters, the last couple of years have been mild too, but this year was borderline ridiculous, you know, um, both on snow and temperatures. For sure, and uh, for those listening that uh, haven't heard the episodes that Cliff has been on, I encourage you to go back and check those out. Um, but uh, Cliff uh, owns and operates uh, Flat Tops Wilderness Guides, uh, rough area for those that are familiar with Colorado, or it's uh, kind of out of Glenwood Springs, kind of between there, and uh, if you're just looking at big picture, kind of between there and Eagle, Colorado, on the north side of I-70, uh, and Cliff's got a big outfitting concession there where he hunts uh, uh, deer, elk. Um, he does a little uh, moonlighting for mountain goats, not in his area, but uh, around there in the state and, and some bighorn sheep. Um, Cliff, the last time we talked, uh, I think we were kind of talking about, you know, first, second, third, fourth seasons and kind of what people could expect. Um, and you've already alluded to, you know, the temperature and, you know, the, the amount of uh, lack of snow in general, for those listening, I mean, what does that cause when it's, when it's, you know, too warm, does, is it an animal movement thing? Um, you know, the, the, the migration patterns, what, why is it make it for tough hunting? You know, I would say, uh, like, the easiest way I would put it is they they have the upper hand in those in those set of conditions um, because you're talking about like a you have this you know our our country and this goes for the vast majority of Colorado where we're talking about these western species that live in huge summer ranges and then weather temperatures feed and all that gets them concentrated during the hunting season hopefully at some point during that time um, so if you don't have cold weather where they need to seek a lot of feed. Uh, and you don't have snowpack that basically closes off all the feed up high and also just makes their mobility hard, um, you're hunting them in 10 times the area, whereas in a normal year you might be hunting the same number of animals in one, you know, one-tenth of that area. So they have the upper hand, and then 
I think particularly on the temperature end, um, and it's you know it's sort of correlated to snow, obviously, um, is that they just want particularly once they get pressured, uh, they change their habits in a way. Um, particularly the elk, I'd say the, I'd say the elk are like if you look at the like this year in Colorado, I don't know a single outfitter that'll tell you that it was even a halfway decent year, and that's from southern Colorado all the way. Uh, up here and, and everywhere else, and um, that's because the elk in particular, if they don't have to get up out and about, um, that timber is just really, really hard to hunt. I mean, even during first season, I mean, first season, second season, third season, I was glassing elk up in the darkest, you know, timber laying in snowbanks all the way into November 10th, 12th, 15th, and that's, that's pretty unusual. At that time, you know, once you get into mid-November, elk should... You know, you should be catching elk. You should be glassing them up on south-facing slopes. You know, so it it was a it was different in that regard. And in the end, they just have the upper hand in those conditions. Yeah, I mean, almost any animal that you hunt when you're dealing with uh, you know animals that are spread out here in Arizona, you know, the Arizona Strip and and some of our elk uh, early season elk hunts and stuff. When we get kind of widespread rains, we talk about how it spreads everything out and. You know, in your concession, um, you know, your outfitting concession, I mean, you, you're hunting a huge area. And when those animals are spread throughout that whole area because they haven't been forced down due to snow, I mean, it, it, it kind of, you know, it, it, it almost makes you think like you have way less elk. Um, you don't in any way think you had less elk. You just think they're spread out and, and, and harder to see. Yeah, no, I think, like, relative to the last couple of years, population-wise, they're about the same. I kind of watch them in the summer, you know, when they're, in in the summer, they'll get up, you know, way before uh, archery season, they'll get up in these big open spots, and you can see where cows are calving and stuff, so you get an idea, like, year to year, the population. I don't think it's it's much of that, I mean, there might be a little bit of that. I mean, if you were talking, like, over the last decade, I'd say, yeah, there's less elk, there's no doubt, but if you're talking just year to year, no, it's just conditions. Um, you know, it's the the elk in particular. They they use that stuff to their advantage, um, and you get you just get huge swings in in your in your hunting because of it. Um, you know, in some ways, I guess you can you can reflect on it. And I actually have noticed this a little bit, given the last two years of mild um, weather. We don't have a lot more elk, but we're killing bigger elk. Um, for us, that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean huge, massive bulls, but instead of, you know, there, there's no doubt that we're killing bigger elk, and that's because not as many are getting killed in these mild winters, you know what I mean, So, or these mild falls. Um, so that's kind of a nice upswing, and, you know, hopefully you've got a huge amount of elk bulls that instead of getting shot when they're, you know, three and a half, they're going to be four and a half next year. And so I try to look at it from that perspective, if that makes sense. So in other words, what I hear you saying is there's realistically like next year a chance that there's been a couple of, you know, handfuls of holdover bulls that have made it through the last couple uh, mild uh, falls. And potentially if, if, you know, everything lined up correctly next year and you had, you know, good snows and, you know, you had elk congregating, you're saying that you could potentially even shoot some bigger bulls because there's some age on them. Yeah, yeah, and that's so. And that you know, that's obviously like the ha- the half glass full ty- type of perspective on it, but it is a reality. 
um, you know, for us, when you get into uh, these good good conditions, and you know, once the bulls after their rut and these rifle seasons, they get back together in bachelor groups, and it's nothing for us to go into an area and kill a whole a whole group of bachelor. You know, we'll kill every single one. Uh, you know, four, five, six bulls in a, in a drainage in the right conditions. Well, we didn't do much of that this year. So those four, five, six bulls that were the same age class, you know, three and a half, four and a half, uh, you know, 60, 70% of them at least, in particularly what this winter's shaping up to be, are going to be alive next year. You know, so that's, that, I mean, I, I think that's uh, the right way to look at it. Your buck hunting, I know on several of the podcasts we talked about the buck hunting and you actually had some new hunts that kind of opened up, if I remember right, the early season hunt and then uh, the fourth season uh, deer hunts. I think we were talking about those dates were about as late as they, they always are. Um, let's talk about the fourth season, even the third and fourth season deer hunts um, first uh did those were those deer also really spread out and and didn't didn't get forced down you know maybe into the lower elevations like they normally do and did the rut ever really kick off or just was it so mild that they just are they're probably going crazy right now yeah you know i'd say like right now they're starting to at least in my like local area here they're starting to tail off a little bit um i've noticed that we've been lion hunting a little bit and a lot of times you get into these areas where um, you're seeing you're, you know you're, you're seeing them push down on these sage flats and stuff where they they get pretty concentrated and you can kind of watch the running activity so it's starting to tail off a little bit it's probably you know it's it's well peaked and all that but um, I would say in terms of running activity uh, it was spot on I mean we killed bucks third season that were in you know that were for sure like into it they weren't all thickened up in like the peak of it but they were chasing does uh, fourth season. Um, same thing every all the bucks we saw were chasing does so i think i think like the timing was pretty spot on i mean you had you were hunting deer in the rut there's no doubt about it um i'd say we ran into kind of the same deal though uh with just the density of them being spread out um and i noticed like you know what a lot of guys particularly non-residents in i think like the whole hunting community that has much like marketing exposure or whatever what we don't talk about is there's these guys in these local areas, like there's guys that live by me that kill big bucks every year. You know, nobody knows about them. They're, they have, you know, got normal jobs. They do their thing. And, I mean, I always chat with those guys. And I'm good buddies with them. And very few of those guys killed big deer this year. Um, and so to me, that's the big indicator, right? And, uh, and we didn't, we saw, you know, we, our four season hunts were good. Our guys saw bucks. They killed deer. It was all good. We didn't kill kill the like quality of deer that I would have loved to see, um, but it was just lower density, and it was you know areas where you typically go in and you'd see you know it'd be nothing to see fifty sixty does. Um, you might go in there and see five ten, you know. So just the the general density of deer was down, and the same thing just spread out, you know. Um, and there might be a little bit. I mean, it's all anecdotal, but I think there might be. In our deer, there might be more of a population year to year. It did seem to me that even early I didn't see the numbers that I typically do, but it, it's hard for me to make that judgment just based on you know anecdotal evidence. With the mild fall you had, um, were you still seeing bears pretty late? Did you see quite a few bears this year? 
Yeah, we and we killed we killed quite a few bears. Um, it's the same deal. I mean, it's like the thing that everybody in Colorado won't. Will, I mean, doesn't seem to want to talk about a whole lot, but there there there's an abundance of bears everywhere. Um, and I think fishing game has started to notice that it's problematic. There's a bunch of good re- research actually by a couple of people that are that are doing PhD projects and stuff on it that are recognizing the the predation from bears, particularly on elk calves, is pretty pretty absurd. Um, so uh, who, who knows? But we yeah we see high numbers around my house. It's it's somewhat ridiculous to be honest with you. I mean anytime. Like we can, I could do a spot and stock bear hunt. There's not a huge demand for them, but I could do a spot and stock bear hunt, which is the only thing we can do in the fall um, for four or five days. And I would say that that's going to be hundred percent opportunity. Um, I, you know, I couldn't guarantee the hunt, but like that's the type of situation the bear hunting's in, um, and that's pretty. That, I mean, that's pretty nuts. Like that'd be the first. That's this is the first time the bears have been like that in my lifetime. When I was a kid in Colorado, you never saw a bear, uh, or it was like a it was like a really a weird a weird thing to just see one walking around, you know. So are um, those most, hunts that guys can buy over the counter and just go hunt? You can you can yeah you have to draw it. so yeah so there's a rifle season from September second uh, through September thirtieth, um, and those are big quotas for for bears. All you got I mean basically you're going to draw the tag, uh, but you do have to go through the draw. What about spring bear? Do they have spring bear hunts? Nope. So it, it's illegal in Colorado. Ah, and that, that's kind so. of an unfor, un, unfortunate deal. It's kind of a misunderstood deal. You know, uh, it's can like, you hunt bear, I mean. Can you, can you hunt bears with dogs in Colorado or is that illegal too? Nope. It's it's also illegal. So oh. no dog. Yeah. So so you're pretty constrained, you know, on, on actual controlling of their, of their uh, population. Um, it's really, I mean, it's a, it's a frustrating thing. And I, you know, I don't want to talk out of school cause I'm not like an expert on, on, on it. Um, but it's super, it's a, it's a hot topic politically. Um, but unfortunately, like all these mountain towns, the fishing game guys are consumed by it. Right. Cause all the towns have to deal with these bears eating trash. They're all habituated to people. So the fishing game guys, have to act like dog catchers and i mean i talk to these guys and they're my friends they they hate it that's not what they dreamt of when they were kids and they wanted to be a fishing game guy you know what i mean like yeah. so, and they got better things to do so it's just kind of an unfortunate thing i mean maybe there's some hope that in colorado it you know there's something changes the spring bear season comes back or comes back or something like that but but i don't i don't know the details so the guys um do you recommend your guys that are coming to hunt? I mean, do you recommend they also apply for bears so they have a bear tag, a deer tag, I mean, an elk tag in their pocket? Yeah, my particularly my archers. Um, you know, I love for them even because you know it's it, it's a rifle tag too. So even if I'm packing in drop camp archers, <clears throat> if one one of them wants to draw that rifle tag. I encourage them to, um, and then we just pack a gun in, and they can, you know, they can they can go bear hunting in the afternoon or, or whatever, and take a take a little break from from bow hunting elk or or whatever. And I've kind of in 2017, we haven't really talked about it, but I'd like to get some guys to do a con- like a longer combination guided hunt, bear, muleys, and elk, because my area is like one of the few areas with high probability a guy can draw all three tags. And you've already guaranteed the hunter a bear, so. 
right? Didn't Do I? I? Well, no. I shouldn't have said that. It's already, it's already, I already feel it bite me, bite me in the butt. But it, I would say that it's like high probability. I, I just use that as an example of like it's a good way to explain how many of them there are. You know what I mean, Jay? Yeah. Like, I mean, is it feasible if you're out glassing, um, let's say for a five day, five day see, uh, hunt or whatever? I mean, will you see one a day? Pretty likely you'll see five bears in five days, or will it be more than that? Yeah, I'd say I'd say that's pretty good. That'd be a pretty darn good estimate. Like I'd say that'd be slightly on the conservative end, but you know that's that that'd be a reasonable expectation. Let's take a quick you know, and we don't. And I would say bears. the one caught is we don't kill like a bunch of massive bears. Um, there have been some big ones killed, but you know they're no they're no behemoths. Um, and so, but we you know they're they're readily available and i'd say that's like a pretty good guess if you hunt the true bear country here um you that's you'll you'll turn up a bear or two a day that's a pretty good expectation let's take a quick break here gohunt.com insider is by far the most valuable tool a western hunter could give themselves gohunt.com insider are the industry leaders and number one source for western hunting for a lot of reasons GoHunt.com Insider have changed the game for how hunts and hunting information are found. Within a matter of minutes using filtering 2.0, you'll be able to filter by state, species, residency, odds of drawing a tag, specific hunting dates, and harvest success percentages to find the hunts that fit exactly what you're looking for. If you are a guy that applies across the West or just in your home state but want to find some new opportunity, There's no better way to do it than using GoHunt.com Insider. As an exclusive offer to my listeners, if you sign up for a GoHunt.com Insider membership for $149 a year and use the promo code JSCOTT at checkout, you'll receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. Head on over to GoHunt.com forward slash Insider and get yourself the most valuable membership a hunter could have. Real Game Calls featuring the Elk Reel. Real Game Calls makes innovative, realistic, and easy-to-master calls using their proprietary, revolutionary design. They are located and manufactured in Gypsum, Colorado. Their calls were designed and battle-tested on some of the hardest-hunted terrain on Earth. Check out ElkReel.com. Use the promo code JSCOTT and receive a 20% discount on all purchases. Go to www.ElkReel.com. Yeah, I mean, I know myself from floating, you know, I'm usually floating about five days a week in the summer, you know, there on the Colorado or on the Roaring Fork or on the Eagle. And every year, the last couple of years, I'm seeing more and more bears right off the river. I used to never see them. And now I'm seeing, you know, handfuls in, you know, in a summer. Um, And that tells me enough right there because, I mean, you go from not seeing them at all and now it seems like every year I'm seeing more and more and more bears. Yeah. No, I think that's like the general trend. We're in, one thing else, I guess, that I would, the one caveat I'd say is like me and you were talking about like the same, the same area. Glenwood Springs, Aspen, Vale, Eagle, Gypsum just kind of seems to have a little bit of an explosion going on. Um, and every sow I see uh, typically has at least a couple of cubs, you know. So they're doing good and... Um, 
Yeah, they're a funny species because not a lot of guys want to hunt them like every year. A lot of guys just want to hunt them once, and and that's that's kind of thing they enjoy it, but they only you know, they only want to hunt bears once. So uh, it's kind of a different different dynamic. Um, and they're cool to watch. I mean, I'm sure you watch them from your boat. They're neat. They're they're a neat animal. They are a neat animal. I'm looking at your Instagram account. Um, for those listening, it's Cliff G R Y. So you you've obviously left the A out of there, but Cliff Gray without the A. Um, yeah, I skipped a, a vowel. There was probably like three thousand Cliff Grays, wasn't there? <laughs> no, that there was, I think on my Facebook or something like that there was at one point, so I had to go with the non-vowel. Um, there's a photo of you uh, riding horseback, and the the color change of the leaves is unbelievable. Yeah, you know what's crazy? I know the picture you're talking about. I mean, that day, it was one of those days, and uh, if you've ever experienced it, like in the in a, the first snowfall uh, that that occurs whenever you got when you got a lot of colors going, like all the aspens changing. <clears throat> I mean, it's beautiful, and it's a cool picture. It's actually one of my guides took it, but that day was like the picture doesn't do it justice. It was like epic. Um, and uh, it was just one of those things where the colors just popped out like crazy. And I happened, we happened to be in a spot where we got a massive aspen grove and kind of that high alpine, like a little transition zone. Um, but I know, the, I know the exact picture you're talking about. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Um, what's this also on your um, – I meant to ask you about this before. It says professional wilderness outfitter and hunting guide, pilot, and adventurer. You, you didn't tell me you're a pilot. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I haven't, uh, I don't fly commercially, um, I've just, but, uh, yeah, it's been, you know, I don't fly as much as I'd like to, particularly now with kids and all the other expenses in, in life, but, uh, but yeah, no, that's, uh, so something when did you I, learn I enjoy. to fly? Uh, you know, I actually learned to fly before I learned to, before I had a driver's license, uh, I got my pilot's license when I was 17. Okay, now explain uh, this to me. You're saying you learned how to, not learned how, but you flew planes and were certified to fly planes before you were certified to drive a car? Yeah, and you know, and you know the only reason that is, is because I failed my driver's test twice. When I was, cause, <laughs> you know, usually you're going to get your driver's license when you're 16, but I remember uh, I got my, because you can't, you can't get a pilot's license until you're 17, and I don't know if that's changed or not, but that's how it was when I was a kid. Um so you can get it on your 17th birthday. So I had that all set up, and it would have been like every other kid. I would have had my driver's license way before that, but I failed the test twice, and then you have to wait like a month and a half in between. So it just worked out that way. Okay, uh, it's not so my I, I got I got to dive into this. This is too good. <laughs> Here's a Stanford graduate, right? Yep. Stanford graduate, and did you fail the written test or the driving? Because Knowing you, a rancher's kid, you had to be driving at like five years old. Yeah, no, I I, I felt the driving part of it, and I think that was uh, <laughs> too fast. Part, yeah, no, but the issue was is maybe like a little bit lax on the on the <laughs> on the city like the city protocols. Uh, I remember exactly how I, how I how I did it. 
it was that it was that uh, unprotected left turn. I always know what an unprotected left turn is because I failed doing the same thing twice. What well, it is, everybody does it, Jay. You know when you like you pull out, you're yielding oncoming traffic at a stoplight, yeah. and then it's coming, and then you try to sneak through there. Well, yeah. I tried to sneak through twice on two different driving tests, and it didn't. You know, it doesn't go go well. Was this in California or in Colorado? Yeah, those were in California. Oh man. So here's this ranch kid that, you know, doesn't even use a turn signal and wow, <laughs> so so you learned how to fly. So I want to hear about this. Did you fly Piper Cub? I mean, what were you flying? And how, like Yeah, I flew for the most part. I've I flew a Piper quite a bit cuz I had my my dad had a friend that had one. Uh, but for the most part like a like a um Cessna 172 is what I have most of my hours on. And do you own a plane right now? Nope. Nope, it's not in the not in the outfitter budget. <laughs> not in the outfitter budget. But I have flown I have flown this area uh, a couple times with friends and it's uh you know, I haven't done a like a tremendous amount of mountain flying. Um it's 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 fun area to, to fly. I don't know if you've flown much in small airplanes, but the mountain stuff is, is interesting. So, like, right now, I mean, are you certified? Like, you legally could go and fly, or do you have to keep up on your hours, or what's the deal? Yeah, so you always have the license, but you have, you have, some, uh, you have some, like, some requirements, uh, and then there's, like, additional requirements, typically, if you're renting other people's airplanes. Um, so right now, I would, for me to get back in, I have to do, like, my two-year check ride. It's just a, a short test and get, get caught up. Um, I've taken kind of sabbatical on it. Just To me, um, and I think a lot of guys would reflect this, if you're not flying small airplanes consistently, like four or five, ten hours a month, um, for your own safety, you're better off just, just taking a sabbatical. I mean, if that makes sense to you. You know what I mean? It's not something you want to get rusty at. Um, so... It's one of one of those things, and I'll I'll get back into it at some point. I always thought, um, you know, I always thought it'd be a fun thing um, if I ever went to Canada, Yukon, stuff like that. Now that was that was kind of always in the back of my mind when I did it as a kid, um, is that you know you could kind of be it'd be like another asset as a as a uh, a guide or whatever. But. Like how many? I mean, how many hours have you flown? I mean, do you have lots and lots of hours? No, I don't. In like the the spectrum of guys that fly, I don't have a whole lot. I think I've got like mid three hundreds. Gotcha. I got my license that you got to you know you, you most guys get their license at like fifty or sixty. Um, so yeah, but uh, it's more like a hobby thing. But I keep up on it. And I follow a bunch of guys on Instagram that that are you know kind of more bush pilot guys and stuff like that but if we pulled in to say if we were off somewhere and we pulled in and the guy like said here i want to show you something and he comes and swings the barn door open and he's got a cub in there are you telling me that you wouldn't just be eyeballing it be like let's fire this thing up and go for a little spin oh yeah yeah of course <laughs> of course i mean i and i would say i, I mean i I've done that before, but with a, you know, you can get out of date on your, on your hours and you can still fly with another guy that's, that's up to date. So, yeah. um, oh yeah, there's no doubt, particularly Cubs. I mean, if anybody's ever, you know, if anybody, have you ever been in one, Jay? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, they're like flying in a tin can. I mean, you know, but you can do some spe some really cool things in one, you know what I mean? So, uh, that, that's like a cool, that thing's like an engineering marvel. 
You know, um, it kind of reminds me of a story of my cousin's husband um, was telling me a story about one time him and his buddy were building, and I want to say it was kind of like an ultralight type plane, like a, you know, one of those jobs yeah. that you order like a kit. Sure. Yeah. He was telling me about it, and they were probably, uh, you know, a 12-pack in or something. But he's like, so we've been working on this sucker, getting it all put together. And we're talking about, like, two guys that literally have probably no business taking this thing <laughs> for a flight. And he's like, oh, yeah, we got it all put together. And we looked at each other and, like, we, we're, we're going to fly this sucker. And <laughs> They did it, and, you know, nobody died, but golly, I laughed so hard. Listening to him tell the story just cracked me up. So when I saw Pilot and Adventurer, it, I just had to ask you about it. Yeah, yeah, no, I got you for sure. But yeah. it, it, you know, it's fun. Um, I noticed that uh, the Gray family's going to have another edition. Yeah, yep. I figure... Uh, I've kind of got on a roll here, and I and I figure here in like tw- like roughly twenty years, it's going to be hard for me to keep up on all the guidance. So I'll have three three new guides. <laughs> <laughs> the prospects coming in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're going to somebody's re- got to do the work from within. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Somebody's got to do the work, so I figure keep going on it. But yep, one more. Yeah, one more on the way. Good. Do you know if it's boy or girl? Nope, not yet. We don't. We don't know. It'll be a, it'll be a month or so before we know. Gotcha. Uh, you know, I think you had sent me a message. Um, I had had a question and answer, and I had someone asking me about uh, wanting to be a guide, and um, I should have brought you in on the the uh, episode, but I'm going to bring you in now. You know, it's one of those things. There's a lot of kids out there young guys and they want to be a guide they want to be an outfitter and you know they see all the pictures on instagram and they think it's just you know everything's fun and and um just wondering if you had any opinions on that yeah yeah no no i would say like any of the listeners that because there's tons of people that same thing i'm sure you, you get lots of young guys and not necessarily just young guys like a lot of guys that just want to live that dream um so they they call, email, ask questions about it, <clears throat> and I would encourage any of them to go back and listen to that episode, because uh, I was just catching, you know, I finally got off the mountain and stuff, so I was catching up on episodes, and I caught that one, and I thought, you know, this is really useful, it answers a lot of questions for <clears throat> for those guys who are who get infatuated with the, the, the idea of being a guide or outfit, outfitter. Um, you know, you had some perspectives on there uh, specific to Arizona, which, which you're totally right. Like the operating environments between the different states, Wyoming, Colorado, Arizona, all, 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 those, all have very different kind of competitive environments, I would say, and then, you know, just how outfitting and guiding works, and then you have then you got Canada, Alaska, and um, and and all of that, and that's a, that's another whole different different spectrum. Um, so there's a lot of differing things there. It depends on what you want to do. But in the end, I would encourage anybody to go back and listen to you guys. I think I think you had some really good points, and in it actually gave me some answers. You know, when young guys uh, ask me, like a good way to approach answering it, because you don't want to kill people's dreams. Um, and I think you kind of, I think you said maybe that during, during the, your discussion of it, but at the same time, you want people to be realistic about it. It's, it's not, it's almost like, like, 
you hit on, like, you need to go work for somebody and see if you want to do it first. Because what guys realize is that guiding and then outfitting in particular, and in the end, you're going to be, if you're going to make a living at it, Jay, um, you know, as you've pointed out, you're not going to be a guide. There's no such thing, and this is going to break some people's hearts, but there's no such thing as a professional hunting guide um, that has a long-term career doing it. There, I mean, there's a couple guys I can think about who are pretty close to that. Um, like one guy I would say, Brian Martin, is pretty damn close to that. Um, and you've had him on here. Um, but there's very, very few guys. And he, and he has a and – he'll and if you ever have him on, you should ask him about the same thing because I'm sure Brian would have a great perspective on it. But in the end – the population of guys that are truly hunting guides is really, really limited, and that's because the hunting business is not like, it doesn't have like huge financial rewards, so if you want to make a decent living at it, you're going to be an outfitter. You have to, right? You've got to have guides working for you. You've got you to do all the administrative stuff, the booking and all that. So, well, In your I opinion, think, like what is the difference between a guide and an outfitter? For those out there listening, they may think it's one and the same. Yeah, so a guide, I mean, a guide primarily, he guides hunters, right, and then does all the work in the camps um, and, and is with the hunters, right? And so for the most part, um, like in Colorado, and I'm sure in Arizona this, most guides are doing it on their, like their vacation time, right? It's just something they, they enjoy hunting, they know the country that an out, outfitter has, you know, has the, has the permits on, um, and so they'll come guide for a week for me or whatever. They get paid a day rate. That's really what a guide guide is in my mind, right? Um, and that extends to a lot of places. I mean, even the friends that I know in the Yukon, Alaska, a lot of those guides, I would say almost all of them, um, it's not their primary profession. Um, and so... When I say guide, I mean the guy that's actually hunting with clients, right? And then even within that world, not to get, like, I, this could probably blow up into, like, a five-hour conversation, Jay, but even in that world, like, really understanding what that guide does um, is really important. You know, a guide is not a, you're, a huge part of it is not hunting, right? And you hit on this, too. A huge part of it is working with people, working with those constraints, um, and then learning how to keep people safe, planning, logistics, all of those things. And then, yeah, there's a small segment, not you know, like a, a third of the job is knowing how to harvest animals, right? In my opinion, that's probably what it about shakes, shakes down to. Yeah. Um, and so <clears throat> that's really hard for, for young guys to palate. If you want to go hunting, like you want to maximize your hunting in life, uh, these are these are both really poor choices. Um, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, you know that's um, and, and I say that in a way that not to be negative to you know negative to people's dreams because I mean I have I have that the passion for the hunting, but I also have the passion for the business. Um, and it's kind of like a disease. It's an exciting business, right? It's really stressful. There's to me, I can't think of anything else that has the degree of logistics, the excitement, uh, the happiness you bring to people. So all those things, um, like I wouldn't trade that for anything, but it's not all, it's not about hunting. You know, it's like 
part of it is, um, but it's not all of it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You've got to enjoy those other things. <clears throat> and you'll know if you do. If you go work for a guy, you know, or a guy or gal outfitter for a couple of years, you'll know if you got the disease. I mean, it runs in my family. I got, you know, we're all stressed out. We have these kind of crazy businesses. My uncle's got a big fishing business, and he hates it, but in the end, he actually really likes it um, because it's the only thing that can keep that excitement level up is, you know, does that does that kind of answer yeah. your question? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, is your uncle's business in Alaska or what? No, it's in it's actually in Mexico. Oh, he does a char- uh, charter business. Yep, yeah, he's got a bunch of boats in San Jose del Cabo, and he's been down there for twenty five years or so. Um, it's like the same thing, you know. I let's like every outfitter who, even though they have a passion for this or or fishing guide or whatever, um, you know, once the season's over. We all like we're all just pooped and exhausted. And we don't understand why we're doing it, and then it's like I mean it's only December seventh, and I'm already you already kind of get the excitement going again, right? Because it's like what are you going to do next year? Um, it's not normal. It's not normal. <laughs> I mean, we may be all messed up in the head or something, you know. And this is coming from a guy. You graduated from Stanford. Now that alone is a feat in itself. Then you worked, you worked, you wore a suit, right, every day, and, yep. you know, you did the whole Wall Street thing and, like, managed, like, kajillion dollars. Your brother still does it, like, was on the Ma- uh, Forbes magazine or some crazy thing, and <laughs> you just walked away from all of that whole, uh, were you in New York, or where were you? Yes, yeah, so we had an office in Dallas, Um and then I worked in I worked in San Francisco for a while too. Okay, so <laughs> but, you went from wearing a suit and the whole thing to being like, uh, I'm going back. I'm going to be an outfitter. Right. You know, I think. Well, there's kind of two things to that. I think part of that is that, in there, I I won't lie and say that there's not things I I miss about that. There's there's some, but there's also like some things in my in my career like a norm in my normal career that are kind of similar to outfitting like I worked in a like a high intensity stressful type of gig and so does my brother and like my brother he came out and helped me guide people this year and he's got a huge huge high pressured business and it's just something he enjoyed and he came out came out and he did it for a week no cell phone for a week and it was he kind of has that same passion for the excitement so <clears throat> having said that I'll say something that I think is really important and I, and I, I think you you were kind of touched on it in your discussion, but I'll just say it like outright, and that's that if you're going to go into this business, have some other way to make an income if it all falls apart. Because nobody can say, yeah, I'm going to go... I mean, there's different things. I mean, if you if your goals in life are um, different than mine, like, you know, I have my family and all that is really important to me and taking care of them, making sure they have certain things, um, that's important to me. Uh, and I'm already, you know, I've all, I was already married when I got into this business and all that. So that's all, like, really relevant. That you, you know what I mean, Jay? It's real, yeah. Yeah, so I had the, the one thing for me that was important is that if this all blows up and falls apart, I can survive, right? And I think any guy who wants to do it, um, you know, while he's guiding, you know, when he's in college or you know, he gets out of, he's, when he's young, he's 19, 20, he's, he's guiding. In your off time, you should be learning some skill that can bail you out. Because this business is not like, 
you know, I sound like a, I sound like a, like a old parent where, now that I'm saying this, but like, but it's just true. You know what I mean? If you want to have any stability in life, you got to have like a little backup plan. Because then the other thing it lets you do is it lets you actually like, in you know, really take on this business and grow it because it's okay to take a bunch of risk. You know what I mean? It's okay to take like do the adventurous out-of-the-box things that other outfitters or other people who have adventure companies can't do, right, because they're struggling to just pay their, you know, to pay their bills, or they just can't, they can't take an extra risk because they're already in a pretty volatile, risky business. Yeah, I totally agree, and and I mean, I think overall, you have to love it. If you're going to be good at being a, an outfitter or being a guide and, and doing it for a long period of time, you have to love it. I mean, if if you start getting burnt out and you are burnt out, you will fizzle out. So I mean, you have to find some way to to rekindle that fire and keep it fresh. And it's you know, it, it's it's it is a stressful situation. It is a stressful job because you've got a lot of people that are relying on you, and you want to make them happy. And, right. uh, you know, it's easy to burn out. So, you know, for me, I think having those breaks and um, having the different seasons and for me, having the different animals like, you know, move from sheep season. Now I'm moving into coos deer season. And then, you know, then there's a couple month break and then it's turkey season and then it's fishing season and then it's, you know, elk season and start it all over. Um, you know, that that helps me. Um, so I would, I would say, I agree with you, you know, um, you put all your eggs in one basket, you absolutely have to go for it and it has to work or else you're going to be, you know, digging food out of a trash can. Um, but but, I mean, you have to love it. And if if you don't truly love it, you'll, you will not be a top outfitter. Yeah, no, I would agree. And, you know, on, on the, on the positive side, like what I always tell, young guys that want to guide or whatever, particularly in the in the wilderness thing and all that, is that like a lot of different things like a young person can do, um, if you struggle through it, it's brutally hard work. Um, and I think you'll, you know, if you do a good job at it and you excel at it, even if it's something you only do for a couple of years, the guiding part of it, um, you'll come away with it like a, like with way more confidence, right? Because you've proven to yourself that like, it's a pretty big deal, you know, for a guy to come up in one of my camps and, and guide for essentially 40 days straight, three hours from any any running water or electricity, it's like that's a pretty big deal. And if you can accomplish that, I mean, you can use it for whatever you're going to do in the in the future too, you know. Uh, makes you kind of self, you know, you're, you're more self-reliant. So I don't, I, that's like a huge positive. And then the other huge positive of it, positive of it, and I'm sure you've experienced this, Jay, like on the different species, is like this, I don't, I don't want to sound like a, like asinine when I say this, but it's kind of like to me, if a guy came to you and said, I've been doing karate for 20 years, right? You'd think the guy's pretty good at karate. Um, But if then he told you, yeah, I've been doing it for 20 years, you know, I do it for five days every year, right? You'd have, like, a totally different perspective on his knowledge base, what he really knows, 
and all that. The one thing that guiding gives the guys, and nobody can ever take it away from you, if you hunt elk or you hunt sheep or you hunt whatever for 30 days straight for two, three years, you got like a knowledge base that how else are you going to get it? Yeah. You know what I you mean? You can only get it by doing it. Yeah. There's just no way. Because yeah. it's like a huge chunk of time that you, like you're, you are focused on that species. And that's something that you, it's hard to buy, you know what I mean, over even a lifetime. So that's, those are like the, the positive part of it, I would say. Because I don't want to, you know, it's yeah. not all negative. Yeah. I mean, it's good. Yeah. I, I, I've said before, it's, it's fun for me. It's fun to get into the eat, sleep, and kill mode. And I always have hunters text me, eat, sleep, and kill. You know, (laughs) I haven't guided them in seven, eight, ten years, and they'll all out of the blue, eat, sleep, kill. And um, it's always fun to, you know, put everything aside and get in the mountains and just go into that mode for, you know, ten days or two weeks or seven days or whatever the hunt is and just totally focus on what you're doing. Um, sure. That that's that's always fun to just kind of zone out, and I'm sure your brother, with with all the stress that he uh, has going with his high profile job, it was probably just a, awesome to come for a week and hang out with you and hunt, you know, go with the hunters and you know do the whole thing and you know go back home, take his shower and put his suit back on and you know go back and and um, you know be crush the world, but. Uh, yeah, it's always it's it's uh, one of those things you got to love it and uh, you got to spend a lot of time doing it. Let's take a quick break here. I have known the owners of the Outdoorsmans in Phoenix for over 20 years. They are the authority on optics and hunting gear. Outdoorsmans is the leading designer and manufacturer of high-quality tripods, mounting accessories, and pack systems for all hunters. Their customer service is the best in the business. Go to Outdoorsmans.com or call 1-800-291-8065 and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off any products. PhoneScope is a company that makes custom-molded, precisely engineered smartphone digiscoping adapters. Photographing wildlife has never been easier. It is simple to text photos and videos from your smartphone and share them with your friends. PhoneScope stands behind their product with a 100% money-back guarantee. Get yours now by using the JSCOT16 promo code and receive 10% discount on all purchases. Check them out at PhoneScope, that's P-H-O-N-E-S-K-O-P-E dot com, or on Instagram, at PhoneScope. All right, Cliff, I want to ask you about, you said you've been doing some mountain lion hunting. Uh, What is the status of um, mountain lion hunting in Colorado? And, you know, how has it been going for you lately? Have you guys caught any lions? Um, What, how is it out there? You know, so in terms of the first part of your question, like the status on lions, I think, you know, one of the troubling stuff on all this predator stuff, bear, lion, everything, it's 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 misunderstood, um, and so it's a political hot topic. Um, I'm not the best to, like, give you the details on, on where it's at politically, um, other than I know it's it's threatened, right? Lion hunting in general is threatened, not just here, kind of everywhere. Um, and it's an unfortunate deal. I would say, you know, the, the thing about lions is, People have no idea how many there are, 
you know, until they, well, there's, there's two, there's actually two things that show me how I realized that there's a lot more lions than I, than I ever thought of in that. You know, I've lived in lion country my whole life, but these two things really did. Once I started hunting them, in the wintertime, you start, you know, I, I saw you had a dry land guy on there, which is impressive. I've never hunted dry land, you know, lions, so it's always been in the snow. So basically, just track-wise, you start to realize that there's a lot more lions around than you think. Um, and then the second thing is actually putting binoculars on a tripod because, I've, you know, then you start glassing up lions. Um, and so those two things you start to realize that there's a lot more lions around than you think. In our area, um, I think it's absolutely, um, without a doubt, all the quotas in the surrounding units in my unit are way, way low. Um, I know what they take off the Indian reservations sustainably, uh, and it's, you know, it's fivefold what, what the fishing game is allowing. Uh, and I shouldn't say fishing game. It's It's somewhat politically constrained, so the quotas are are what they are, and it's a hot topic, so it doesn't get messed with too much. Um, in terms of uh, how we how we've been doing, I don't I don't commercial I don't outfit for them at all. It's just a just a personal thing with friends. Um, but they're around. We've chased a couple. Um, we got actually into a situation where dogs confused and everything, just because just in one area we had four four lions, a, a mom with cubs, and then a and then a and then a tom. Um, so we've been having fun. It's a fun hunt, Jay. I don't know if you've if you've done it. Um, it's a lot of guys just think it's guys that turn out dogs, and it's like this guys that don't appreciate the lions. It's an easy hunt, and you know it's a it's like a brutal deal, and it's it's pretty far from the reality of it. Um, and I even hear that sometimes from the hunting community, which is a bummer because I think everybody should go go give it a try and kind of see what's what's all involved. Um, the dog part of it's really cool, um, and guys put a lot of time in, into their dogs. Uh, it's one of the few things with hunting, or one of the few uh, hunts that exists that you don't have to kill it if it's not the right one or, or, or whatever. You usually get a really good look at it in the tree. Lots of lions get, you know, get turned away, and it's about the, it's about the chase, right, you know? Um, and I will say that in, if I take the spectrum of hunters that I know, the best ones are a lot of them are lion guys, um, and that's like a that's a perspective of the hunting community for the most part doesn't have. But guys, they know these. I mean, these guys know how to track. They know behavior in a way uh, on a species like that's much more in depth than most hunters. So I respect all that part of it. I wouldn't say I'm a lion expert at all, Jay, um, other than I enjoy doing it with, with friends that, that know a lot more than me. Well, a lot of it, too, is they can kind of predict, you know, they're out there. For one, every lion hunter I know is tough. They're tough guys. Oh, yeah. I, mean, it, it's, I don't know a sing, single sissy lion hunter. I mean, I, there may be some, but I don't know them. The ones I know are tough. And oh yeah, sure. They, and like you said, they are great hunters. They're very observant. I think that's one thing about lion hunters I know is they're very observant, and uh, you know they pick up on things uh, that that even good other good hunters that I know don't even notice. And um, 
in Colorado, so there's a quota. So like, when is the season? How many, like in your area, how many lions can you kill? And then like, is it done when there's like five lions killed or is it like 50 or what? I mean, what's, what's. Yeah. Happening? Yeah. So just like a, yeah, as, a, as an example in my area, which they, they, uh, they, <clears throat> they stick units together in this kind of, I mean, they do that in elk and deer too, in Colorado too. So, but the unit, the, there's three units, and I don't know the exact, I'd have to look. I only focus on my unit, 25, because it's the only one that I hunt in. But it's batched together with, I believe, 26 and 34. Um, so three average size uh, game, game management units, pretty, pretty darn big areas, um, and the quota is seven. So in our area, uh, well, not in our area, just in Colorado in general, uh, the night before you hunt, you always have to call in and see, see if the unit has been closed. They keep track of the quota. Um, and then you have to, when you kill one, you've got to bring it in and have it checked, and then they, they, take, it, they take it off the quota at Is that, that point. seven toms or seven females? Seven, seven lions, total. period. Okay. Yep. Yep, and you kind of, and there's a lot of, there's some interesting, I don't know the exact science on it, and it's, it's kind of on my list to really, you know, read about and know what the, the truth is, but there's, there's some discussion that uh, the tight quotas have, have maybe uh, bumped up the lion population a, a whole lot because guys are holding out for, for toms, um, so they're turning, out, they're turning out a ton of females. They're not, you know, nobody's killing females, they're just killing big toms, and those big toms were actually part of, part of their biology is they, they run around and kill kittens off of, off of females. Um, so when you're, when you're killing all the big mature toms, um, you kind of have a distortive thing in the population. I've heard that. I can't back it up with like, in, you know, a ton of science, but it, it makes sense. And, and it sure seems to me like there's a lot of, lot of lions around. Yeah. I mean, uh, did your hunters, did you guys out when you're deer and elk hunting, uh, how many did you guys see either riding in or walking here and there or glassing? I mean, yeah, so, a hand, handful of them so, seen this year. Yeah, and, and I don't know uh, your experience with them. I think we've actually chatted about it, and you've actually glassed quite a few of them up, right? Yeah, I think I'm at 40, 43. Yeah, I mean, but but honestly, Jay, you're like, uh, that's an extreme anomaly. Yeah, and, <laughs> right? and, and, and granted, 75% of those are more in Mexico where they're really thick, and we're spending a lot of time glassing for deer and up on high points. So, I mean, yeah, it's... And, and I can't tell you that some of those aren't some of the same lions, but we've tried to keep track of them um, just because it's, you know, one, I think one time when we got to like 17 or 18, Darren, I were like, let's keep, let's start counting these suckers. And, um, but go ahead. Yeah. So this year, and I was just, while you're, while you're uh, talking, I was listening, but I was also thinking in my mind what I saw this year physically. And just to put it in perspective for people, I mean, I know lots of guys that hunt, you know, good good lion habitat, and they might see one lion every decade. You know what I mean? Like when they're if you're not hunting them, you know, you're hunting deer and elk, and you run into lions on the trail or whatever. It's pretty rare. They're smart. You know, they don't yeah. they they keep themselves keep themselves hidden. You know, I'm sure they're always watching us. But this year, I saw five different lions, three on the road, um, and then I saw. Uh, one, uh, I was, I was just looking at deer after fourth season. Um, and then I saw one recently I glassed up 
and then um and then in terms of dogs i've seen uh, you know the dog deal i've seen a lot um just you know you get them in trees so that's kind of a different deal and then i had i want to say i had uh two different sightings from hunters um you know, and i when i say those type of numbers to biologists guys who who manage game the fishing game guys like they're like holy crap that's a lot yeah. you know um and i and, and in my just life experience with them it is i mean i've gone years where i haven't seen one you know what i mean yeah so so they're around and they're in again like the bears i mean watching them when you glass them up is the coolest i mean they're cool that tail never stops moving does it no yeah they just like they bounce around and if you see one that's like active like i had one recently um i saw him and then he vanished you know how how they do um like he immediately I disappeared, and then I saw him much closer to me, and he just popped up on a log like a down aspen, it, just like a big giant house cat. I just see his tail way up in there, and he's just got his head up and he's looking at me, and then he pops off the log, vanishes, and then I see him like maybe 200 yards further away, does the same thing. Like he's on to me the whole time, but he's just like a big house cat, you know. Yeah, he's just like um, looking at you, his piercing eyes. Yeah, yeah, just looking straight through your soul, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. So but, um, what's um what's on the agenda with the Grays? Uh, you've got a kid on the way. Uh, I know your wife's a skier. Are you much of a skier? Are you waxing the skis and getting ready to go skiing or what? Or yeah, you... I wish. I, wish. I mean, today was like a big, big powder day, but I just got, you know, I, I'm just catching up on all the outfitting stuff. Um, you've seen on my Instagram and we've chatted about it before. I'm trying to do some hunts in BC in 2017. So I've been working on, working on some business stuff on that front and just kind of keeping busy. Um, but yeah, like today I I saw you've got some mountain goat hunts that you're doing with a partner or something up in BC. It looks like. Yeah. So it's the same, it's the same guy that I'm, that I'm also going to do some spring bear hunts with. Um, and, uh, you know, I went up, we had, we discussed it, I went up and explored BC on several trips in 2016, um, and, uh, and, you know, this particular deal, I thought it was a great deal, and it worked with a lot of the type of clientele that I, that I already have here, um, you know, they're pretty accessible hunts, you, drop, you, you fly into Vancouver, which every big city in, in the U.S., you can get direct flights there, and then you can be hunting the next day, it's like a five, six hour drive, um, and then for me, it works well because I can do the spring bear thing uh, up there, which is in my off season. Uh, and then the goats, you know, I've, I've guided and hunted goats here quite a bit. Um, and the goat deal, have you ever thought about? Have, have you do you have you ever hunted them before, Jay? I haven't. Um, yeah, I mean, do you, is it on your bucket list at all? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's they're an awesome animal. I mean, when I have seen them and been around them. Uh, most of the time is, you know, they're, when I'm spending the summers in Colorado and seeing them and such, they're, they're really neat animals. Yeah, they're, they're one of my favorite things to hunt for a bunch of reasons. The, the main one is what you're getting to is they're like, they're just unique. And, I mean, and, and I'm the, a member of the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance as well. Nice, me, me too. Um, and those guys, I think, I, I, he's doing a good job. I, I get his newsletter and everything, so yeah. uh, I applaud him for putting that together. Um, it's Peter, right? Yeah, Peter, yeah. yeah. I but, had him um, on the podcast. He was really good. Uh, Peter Munich, uh, good guy with the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance. But I've never hunted goats, but that's a good plug for him. 
Uh, yeah. You know, I think it's 30 or 40 bucks a year, and that money goes to really, really good cause for, for goats. And someday I will hunt them, so I figure I'm, I'm going to join the alliance and support them, you know? Yeah, no, it's a good deal because they're, they're like a really sensitive species that people don't um, understand. They, they, I mean, they're sensitive in a different way that sheep are. I know it sounds like just following your Instagram that, uh, you know, you, you've, you guys have some, some sheep issues going on. Um, but goats are sensitive in a different way in the sense that, you know, they, uh, they're, they're just small populations and they're really localized little, almost like families. Um, and, and mismanagement of them can cause a lot of problems. So I'm glad that, you know, the guys put together a, an organization to address some of that stuff. And, uh, and I think you find out that there's a lot of guys out there that are obsessed with goats. So good. I, I, it's a good deal. And I think everybody should sign up for it. But, um, anyways, I, I got off track on it. And what I was going to say is that when I looked at a place to do goat hunts outside of Colorado, the problem with Colorado, obviously from a guide outfitter perspective is that the tags are just, you know, it takes guys years, decades to get the tags. Um, but in BC or, you know, or, um, anywhere else, Alaska, even there's a huge variation in how to actually get in, you know, where you're going to hunt them. You know, there's lots of places where the majority of goat hunts, you're taking float planes in multiple float planes in, or you're going on roads or you're taking boats that are all susceptible to massive scheduling issues. Um, and that's, that can be part of the adventure, but I didn't want to, I want, I didn't really want that to be an, an issue. So, uh, I found some guys that have really quality goats and they're, they're, you, they're not easy hunts at all because no goat hunt is, but the logistics getting in there is. Um, so that was what I was kind of looking for. And, and I got going, if that makes sense. Sorry for the long, long winded no. answer. Jay. No, it's a uh... All good stuff, um, for sure. I know you're, uh, you know, you've always loved those goats, um, and it's, it's. I know you enjoy doing them in Colorado, so I'm glad you're going to get a chance to uh, get to do some of that. What time of year will you be hunting those? So the the um, the they uh, their seasons are mostly in September and then the first week of October. So similar to our goat seasons, um, it works out for me because I can go up there. Um, and and be a part of that be a part of that process in between the seasons here and for the next few years we got like three weeks between the end of archery rifle and then um, and then uh, uh, excuse me archery elk and then the rifle seasons so it gives me a time some time to go up there in the bear stuff in the area it's totally out of the season it's like May June and with another mouth to feed in the gray household your wife probably said you better find a couple more gigs there Mr Cliff. Yeah, you get you got to keep busy, and then I think it gets it gets to what you were saying. Like, um, it's not all about business. Part of this is like maintaining your passion for it, right? Yeah. Um, so you got to have some variety. I don't, and I think that's not just outfitting; it's probably any any entrepreneurial endeavor, right? For sure, for sure, man. Well, it's been great having you on the podcast. Um, as always, um, do you guys have any? Uh, winter trips you you go into the sunshine anywhere anytime soon in the next couple months or anything or are you gonna stay pretty close to home oh me personally not we're just we're we're taking it easy yeah. uh enjoying a little time off from the outfitting season so keeping it uh keeping it simple you know 
So, but you got you got some coos deer hunts coming up, and that'll keep you traveling, huh? Yeah, I'm excited. Um, you know, kind of shifting here from sheep season. Uh, my archery hunter. Uh, well, I had a guy that had a 15D tag, which is up by Kingman, and those are Nelson eye sheep. And uh, uh, Dar and I have had some great success hunting those Nelson eye, and they're the flared out rams as opposed to the Mexicana that are kind of tighter to their face. Um, and pneumonia has hit our herd. And in a handful of our northwest units there, we've had anywhere from, you know, a 50 to 80 percent death loss uh, so far. And, and uh, so it, you know, it, it was uh, definitely in 15D. I'm going to say there's at least a 50 percent loss for sure right now. Um, I was seeing way less sheep uh, this season than I usually do in years past. And I think they flew 580 sheep the last three years, roughly in the surveys. And this year they flew 203, so you know that's like a two-thirds uh, difference. Um, but you know I'd say a 50, per, 50 to 60 percent loss so far that I noticed. Yeah. Um, no, no, probably no fertility. Yeah. You have no mean, lambs. Zero lambs. Yeah. Um, you know the the older age class they didn't fly a single class four in the helicopter. Um, the nice thing is uh, my hunter we did find a 10 year old ram and he killed him and shot him with his bow uh he had told me when he booked the hunt he said i want to shoot uh, a ram with my bow i'm not even bringing a rifle uh i want to shoot a pope and young minimum and i thought it was 140 minimum uh, but i guess it's like 125 and his number one he said i want to shoot a mature ram so uh it was the oldest ram we saw and you know a 10 year old ram uh for nelson eyes in that region three typically you maybe see one 10 year old a whole a year between all those units um so it felt pretty good about finding that 10 year old ram especially with you know that they say the pneumonia of, uh afflicts the the young and the old first and yeah. um all the rams that had been checked in had pneumonia they did the swab on our ram it it had pneumonia uh so yeah um you know it's 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 pretty heartbreaking but it's kind of a reality with sheep they like you said they are kind of a finicky animal and um yeah so anyway i i, I transition now i'm kind of uh going into coos deer mode in mexico we've got our first trip december 27th through january 4th uh, we've got a group of five guys and then we've got uh, january 15th through the 23rd uh our rut hunt Typically, we do two hunts back-to-back, seven-day hunts, uh, seven full hunting days. But this year, we had a, uh, two fathers wanted to take their sons hunting uh, and take them, I think they're in their teens, uh, hunting uh, during Christmas break. So we're going to go a little bit early this year and then do our rut hunt uh, the 15th through the 23rd. And, and I've got, I don't know, 25 or so uh, kind of DIY guys that are just going on leases that we have for, for coos deer so yeah it's always uh this coos, coos deer in mexico i think uh, the first year i went down i believe was 1999 so i guess this will be my 18th season and um just something i always look forward to we love those coos deer so yeah it's a great time of year it's great great time of year always good to be a hunter and um uh definitely a hunt we we just uh, really enjoy the heck out of uh so, yeah, that's what yeah, I... Yeah, no, it sounds like... 
one of those deals that people get they get a bug for right yeah it's kind of one of those things until you hunt them you know you think why would you hunt those little deer and then almost every single hunter that's come down you know we get a lot of repeat customers um but as soon as they see their first big nice mature coos deer rutting around or something they just they're just hooked and you know when you get those you know 110 inch bucks but they're on a hundred pound frame um i've had guys that are from iowa you know that have 300 pound deer and shoot you know 160 170 inch bucks and they say these coos deer look bigger just just proportion wise you know Um, yeah no i got you sure yeah, but it's also another adventure, right? You go into oh, Mexico, yeah. you do the oh, thing. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I I can see why people get get that bug, but uh, but yeah, no, Jay, I appreciate you having me on. Um, thanks again. Yeah, for sure. Um, give you a chance to let people know how they can contact yeah. you. And I guess the draws for Colorado won't be due till what about April? So they've got some time. But uh, yeah, if you're interested in a hunt, give Cliff a call. Cliff, where can they find you? Uh, they can, uh, the best is just the website, ftguides.com or Flat Tops Wilderness Guides. Gets to the same same spot. And then uh, Instagram is pretty good uh, way also. And that's, uh, as you said before, at cliffgry. Um, but, yeah, those are both best. You're welcome to email me, call me, all that stuff's on the website. Um, and, yeah, you know, this is, it's kind of, we're already. It seems like booking season's hitting early, early this year. Been kind of been busy on that already. So, um, so yeah, give me a holler if you got if you have interest. And just to be clear, a lot of your hunts um, are are very uh, easy draws and or over the counter where you can just buy tags straight up. Correct. Yeah, the the majority of it uh, is. Uh, I've got some deer hunts that are that are higher point higher point deals, but the majority of my stuff is all. Um, easy to draw or over the counter perfect man well um tell everyone in your family hello and i'll be chatting at you and uh yeah have fun chasing those lions while you can all right thanks a lot jay all right buddy